Hello and welcome to another episode of the Emerging Purpose Podcast with me, Greg Donaldson. Hope you're all doing okay out there. It's been a little while since the last podcast and uh, this week I'm very excited to announce that my guest on the podcast is Philip Cargom. Now, if you haven't heard of Philip, where have you been, first of all? But if you haven't heard of him, let me tell you a little bit about him. So he was the chief, chief druid for many years. Um, and he was asked to lead the order of bards and ovates and druids. And uh, he sort of handed that over in 220. So he did that for about 32 years. But he's not just a druid and he wasn't just a druid. He, was, he has been many things. And um, I first actually came across Philip Cargom when uh, I bought a tarot pack called the Animal Druid Pack. And um, so I was very excited in 2018-19 to be asked by Ros Watts of the ASA Integration Program. Uh, I think at that point we were calling it the Connectedness Program with the Synthesis uh, uh, Program. And basically, um, I got to work alongside Philip uh, for this program, which was about psychedelic integration for uh, uh, participants of clinical trials who had been using psilocybin uh, f uh, for um, the relief of depression. And um, yeah, so so I was lucky enough to go away and have a sort of team meeting and, and go to Camerbon up in uh, up in Wales uh, and meet Philip and uh, have some very interesting conversations with him. And I was so glad that he agreed to come on the podcast because there's just so many things I wanted to ask him about. Uh, yeah, so he was a druid for a long time, but um, I suppose many people probably know him more because of his books and uh, his writings. Um, and we did talk about his actual latest book, which is not quite available yet, but um, it will be available soon. Called the gift of the night and um, that's his book on sleep and sleep as a spiritual practice but he's written so many books i mean i will put a link to his website and you can have a look for yourself but you know he's 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 written on many many uh issues and um topics um and um you know i'll name a few here the winged psyche the prophecies was one i think one of his uh his actual novel that he wrote Lessons in Magic, The Druid Mysteries. Uh, he's done a few different versions of the Druid Animal Oracle. He's done the Druid Plant Oracle, the Druid Craft Tarot, Journeys of the Soul, the Druid Way. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So um, there's definitely something for everyone in that list. Um, he's also... Uh, a trained therapist. He, he trained with the Psychosynthesis uh, Institute. Uh, so again, we had a little bit of a crossover there as I'm a psychosynthesis uh, psychotherapist myself. I trained at the Trust. Um, and yeah, it's kind of nice to have that crossover. And he's also, um, he's also, I guess you would call it a sophrologist. Or he practices sophrology, um, which is another interesting map and model i guess and um you can find out more about that on his website too 
Um, but I suppose in this conversation, the things that we covered were, you know, we went into a little bit of stuff about tarot. We went into stuff about purpose and meaning. And we talked about his book on sleep. And um, we just generally had a really nice conversation. And it's always really great to connect with Philip. He's just such a lovely man, lovely open being and very generous with his knowledge. And um, yeah, so I think what I'll do is we'll just get straight on with the podcast. And please let me welcome you to this conversation with myself and Philip Cargon. watch tv yeah what 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 are you into at the moment oh god um i saw a fantastic film um two days ago and i've forgotten the name of it it's really worth watching it breaks the fourth wall uh, it's got with a nun and a, a, a about a girl who lives on no food in ireland oh. and a nurse is sent out and uh it's just a stunning film actually because 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 it starts off the, the film and it, it's a period drama in ireland is this in the cinemas at the moment, or is it something um, you just it on? Was on? It is in the cinemas, yes. It's on, yeah. on Curzon, so they tend to have ones. Yeah. And it's a period drama. You see the trailer, it's a period drama. But it starts off in a warehouse with the film set. And, 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 the, and the director sort of says something like, we all need stories, and you, know, you just have to... You know, and it moves to part of the thing, and then suddenly you're in the film. And you're totally in it for about an hour and ten minutes, and then a voice, the same, that voice comes back saying, "Remember, we need stories," or something like that. Ooh. And then just at the very end, the camera, the, the climactic finishing scene, and then there's a camera pans like that, and you're in the warehouse, and there's the actress who's just staring at you, going in, out, in, out, because there's oh a there's God. a sort of two reality. You know, you've been in, yeah, in. Fantastic. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I'm gonna to have to. You'll have to text me and let me know. What yeah, the I'll name text of that you. Is. We'll tell you what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So thanks for coming to talk to me. Oh, I, we met a few years back, right, when we were still doing a bit of work for this. Um, well, for Roz, Roz mm. Watts, mm. Um, with Synthesis, this yeah. um, connectedness uh, program. Connectedness program. That's right. Yeah. 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 And. Um, I remember meeting you back then and kind of really, you know, really feeling like, oh, wow, I've kind of met one of my heroes. So it's, you know, I'm just, I think because what I'd, um, I'd been really interested in actually the way that I'd come to know you is through mm. your tarot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you've got a kind of tarot pack, right? That mm. you, that you designed with, uh, your wife, Stephanie. And, and, well, the, the imagery comes from Will Worthington. I mean, Stephanie uh -huh. and I worked on what we wanted in the images. Yeah. And then Will, Will did the artwork for them. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what's your relationship with the tarot? Okay, well, well, I, I, the tarot was, was something that, you know, when we were teenagers uh, was a big thing. You know, there was this sort of renaissance in interest in the tarot around the time of flower power and the psychedelic renaissance uh-huh. and all, all of that. Um, you know, was in around in the in the sort of we're talking about the seventies, really. Yeah. Um, and and so I was in it from an early age, and I remember I have a very vivid memory of being in an unknown flat uh, in Notting Hill Gate. You know, you know the way in those days you'd end up in funny places and you weren't quite sure how you got there, sort of thing. You know, with about twenty people in the room and everybody, you know, uh, and um, everybody's high as kites and you know. Yeah. You and uh, this guy was a sort of, he was th- literally throwing tarot cards around and talking about them as he flung them around the room. It's very peculiar, yeah. but it sort of worked in, this, in the particular situation. So what, what he was kind of giving readings as he was throwing yeah, them around. Yeah, it was as if I'd yeah. be sitting opposite from you now yeah. and I'd just flick a card at you and say, ah, oh, the hangman, that's, oh, you know, you're, wow. you're about to go through something interesting, aren't you? You know, sort of, you know, like that. And uh, <laughs> so it was sort it, of like a sort of uh, anarchist tarot reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was like, um, anarchist. And, 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 uh, and then, and I used it, I suppose, for about, five years perhaps maybe a bit longer and then I had a period where I didn't look at it at all really and and then the publisher of our Druid Animal Oracle Uh invited us to do a tarot deck and my initial reaction was to say no because I'm not an expert Uh in it yeah but I've sort of learnt to uh, with decisions to wait three days it's a very good little rule if you don't have to make an instant decision yeah and it's an important question yeah you know just just sit on it for three days so i sat on it waited and the obvious came into my awareness during those three days which is the value of beginner's mind well i was just about to say to you i mean i think there's something about if you'd answered that question straight away because you weren't an expert how many things would you not do in your life? What would one not do in their lives? Totally. If if you didn't think you're an expert, I mean, God, my entire life <laughs> probably. That's right. <laughs> Virtually everything I've done, I haven't been an expert. And it, you know, uh, hooray. Yeah, you know, because in a way, that's how you become an expert by trying. You know, by 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 coming in with beginner's mind. And there's there's a huge value in beginner's mind. You know, and I thought, I thought, what if I approach tarot with Beginner's mind, which of course isn't beginner's mind, I suppose. In other words, what if I approach tarot with my understanding of psychology, my experience mm-hmm. with psychosynthesis, mm-hmm. you know, with druidry, with you know, a whole bunch of different sort of perspectives, uh, and just look at tarot. Mm-hmm. And so that, so so I contacted the publisher and said, "Yeah, okay, we'll do it. Go for it." Yeah. Well, interestingly, when I was training to be a psychotherapist, uh, as a psychosynthesis psychotherapist. Mm. My tutor, who I've actually in- interviewed for this podcast as well, mm. uh, Alan Freighter, had your pack of tarot cards. Oh, right. And he he was in one of our in one of the weekends that we were learning, and he was just kind of doing what your anarchistic mm. tarot reader was doing. He was sort of saying, you know, just take a card, just take a card. And mm. and actually, there was no, we weren't given an interpretation. Mm. We were asked to come up with our own interpretations. Okay. Yeah. So to just sit with the card, 
and just feel into it, look at the imagery and see what that might resonate for us with our, mm. in our lives, you know. Mm. And that's... Well, know. that's, 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 I mean, I think particularly the tarot, because there are so many images and because it has such a long sort of tradition of knowledge and teaching around it and so on, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you have to be an expert and there's mm -hmm. a whole load of stuff you need to know. But for me, a big, a big turning point was when we had a, a uh, when our daughter Sophie was 16 and she had her friend, a 16 year old friend living with us at the time from Kenya and they were doing their GCSEs. Um, and Sophie said to me, you know, do you want to um, uh, uh, have a tarot reading? And I said, oh, no, uh, not a good idea, you know. Uh, and uh, she said, no, no, go, come on. And I said, well, you know, it's like, I don't know how her parents would feel about that. And, you know, and um, in the end, they managed to twist my arm. <laughs> and uh, I did it. And I was just praying that she didn't get a difficult card, like, like the Nine of Swords or um, Death for instance oh yeah because some can be kind of some quite, can, some can dramatic. quite dramatic and tricky you know yeah. and conventional interpretations yeah. or, you know, traditional interpretations can be quite um, problematic and lo and behold she she selected well I, I i my sense was i was just starting to work with the idea of not using spreads you know yeah. spreads are predefined predetermined patterns that you lay the cards down so so i, I had just had this idea that one could work in a more intuitive way. So I said to her, just choose some cards. And this is what I do with most people now if they ask me, just choose some cards. And then often the person will say, well, how many? And you just do the enigmatic psychotherapist smile and sort of slight shrug of the shoulders. <laughs> you know, so, mm -hmm. so, you know, yes, that's right. so, you know, and then so people pick a number of cards. You say, just lay them face down, shuffle the deck, and then you know, tune in, lay them face down. And then when, when you've done that, just turn them all up, look at them, mm. and then just imagine they're pictures in a storybook about perhaps about the particular issue you've asked about or about your life, you see, and just talk about Nice. And, and I did that, and of course she had death, and she had the Nine of Swords. And the Nine of Swords is the sort of dark night of the soul. It's in, in Arwan, it's, it's nine swords on a wall, and then a person sitting up in the middle of the night looking distressed, crying um yes you know so they're all you know again if you use those little books of interpretations you get in yeah. sort of traditional deck yeah you'll see it says you know they're tr tricky so she looked at them all and, uh, and then a, just a smile came upon the face and she picked up the nine of swords and she said um well this is me of course you know i've got nine gcses and i'm worried you know and but Soon that will be in the past, and they will all hang as trophies on my wall. Oh my gosh! You know that's had, such a brilliant interpretation, isn't it? Lovely. Yeah. And then she picked up the death card, another smile, and she said, "Well, of course, this does mark a death in a way. This is the death of my childhood. I mean, I'm no longer. I mean, she absolutely got it. It was utterly extraordinary. And so that taught me a great deal. Mm. And so I became very, very excited by that. And over the next six months, any poor person who happened to walk through our doors was was <laughs> captured and and and, and thrown a card offered, yeah offered a reading and what i found is that 95 percent of people do completely their own readings yeah you just set up the context and the framework and they they do all the work and then just occasionally 
they will say something like, mm, "This doesn't. I don't. I don't get anything mm-hmm. from this, so mm-hmm. I don't know what that means." And that that's where you come in as saying, "Well, traditionally, it means you know one of the interpretations is." So you could kind of prod with a, you something prod you might and, know. And prompt yeah. yes. and occasionally, you know, for instance, uh, I would find that just literally moving a card once that provoked somebody to burst into tears just think what how how do you feel if i move this card over here Uh so the positioning yes that was around um uh, her mother and her stepfather Uh and in the spread in in the way she'd spread them out he was over there and i put them together Mm. and she had this insight and she started to cry and she said actually they do belong together Wow. But I've tried to keep them apart. Wow. So it was even in the positioning was just Even such the a, positioning of the cards. There's a, I mean, there's so many things about what you've said already that I'm making kind of, you know, mental notes. But, the, mm. you know, the first thing that I kind of picked up on was the this idea about being a psychotherapist. And actually, um, the, 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 the kind of temptation to leap into interpretation. Mm-hmm. All right, and actually, what you've said there is is kind of br- a brilliant advice for any therapist as well, isn't it? Is to kind of actually, well, let's let's see what what the unknown what this unknown moment brings, rather than me having to be an expert or be clever and kind of offer you this this clever interpretation of what's going on in your life, which mm. which kind of weirdly a lot of clients seem to be wanting, mm. but but we can fall into offering providing them that. that, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you're, ju- that you're just saying there is just reminds me also of, of you know, this sort of uh, positioning is something about family constellations, mm. right? Mm. And there's something in there that's quite, uh, yeah, family constellations being the kind of um, method or m- model that, that people use to kind of look at family trauma or trauma coming down through family lines. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And the actual that that really mysterious process in constellation work of how the physical positioning yeah. seems to play a major part in it, and I became very aware of that. And I don't know if you've ever done constellation work with with objects. There are some people do it with 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 sort of wooden blocks, mm-hmm. and you just move the blocks around a board, and even that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about, I guess, patterns and understanding yeah. patterns and so on. But but the, a really striking example of that was um, I was questioning, you know, it, it would be natural to say, well, look, you've got 72 evocative images. So leave aside all the mumbo-jumbo, and why not just say... Uh, any combination of these evocative is going to evoke material from mm-hmm. from a client, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But there's nothing. As in, uh, uh, is you looking seventy two different types of mirrors? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That 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 there's nothing mysterious or magical about this. It it's, it can be totally random. It, that, that you don't have to evoke any sort of ideas of spirituality and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So, but then then you get certain readings that occur that are so so striking, so striking that you say, well, this isn't random. And to give you an example, somebody came over from the other side of the world who had a particular issue she wanted to look at. And I invited her to spread the cards. It's where you you lie that you you know you shuffle them and then you lay them out in a long line mm. and then you just pick pick them mm-hmm. you know, one by one like that. So it's not like you've 
when you shuffle them into a pack, you can have instances, particularly if you've got a new deck or a fairly new deck, of where there's a cluster. So you know all the pentacles are together, for yeah. instance. Or you know, but if you lay, if you shuffle them and lay them out, and then you pick them like you know ran, randomly or specifically or intuitively like that, that's that's not going to be the case. Her issue was around a family holiday that she was going to attend, and these family holidays always went wrong and ended in tears. Oh dear. And she was about to have one of these and she wanted to make sure it didn't mm. end in tears, you see. So so she picked these cards. Every single card was um, one suit. I think it was cups. King of cups, queen of cups, princess of cups. Yeah. And then there was one queen of wands or princess of wands. And she she picked all those and they all represented the members of her family and she starts saying oh my god he even looks like that in the image you know <laughs> and 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 so had each one she could identify and she was the odd one out you know with precisely the characteristic of that card uh-huh. so it happened yeah. wands fiery and all right this, okay so, like, so that was significant but the, the the remarkable thing was there's a thing called the rogue card or the wild card, which can often happen when you're shuffling, where one just bounces and yes. flies out. Yeah, you have to take notice you of that card. Really got to take yeah, notice yeah, yeah. and grab it. And that exactly what happened when she was doing it. One shot out, and I, I, I caught it yeah. and put it down like that. And so then after she said, oh, "Gosh, we're all here. This is the family holiday. There's, there's, you know, my mom. There's, you know, that, you know, all of us are here. And there's me. And oh, I'm different. Yeah, yeah. and." And then I said, well, let's have a look at this one. I turned to him. She said, oh, my God, there's my brother who's flying in two days into the... <laughs> of course. Of course. You know. so, so in terms of, for me, that answered that question, or it, you know, it affirmed for me that something much more than chance is going on because yeah. of the way it was picked. And all that then the other question that I'd often sort of thought about was, What's the point of this, really? I mean, are, are, is this really of any great help doing these kinds of things? Do you get like a bit of insight or, you know, but is it, you know. But she, on her way back, she had the holiday abroad and then came back via London yeah. and, 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 and popped in. And, and I asked her what happened. And I said, was, was it in any way helpful, really, if we're going to be yeah, hard-nosed yeah. about this? Nice, you know, nice. You know? And she said, totally, because, because of the what I learned in that reading, I basically made the resolve to, at a certain point in the evening, to go to bed, you know, not to have that extra glass of wine and to get into an argy-bargy and for it all to go pear-shaped, but just check out when, you know, when I, you know. So a little, a little, she'd got that insight in the reading that that's what she should do. She did it. And for the first time, they had a. Really they kind good, of got on and had they got good, on and had a good time. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a really interesting question to ask about tarot because ultimately, yeah, you're right. They're just pieces of paper with pictures on them. Yeah. And and you know, a lot of people could kind of go, oh yeah, mumbo jumbo, whatever. Hmm. But what I'm really interested in, and I mean, sometimes I actually do pull a tarot card from my clients at the end of their session. You know, if they're if they're that way inclined, hmm. you know, I like to offer that. And 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 it's a kind of nice way to sort of ground uh, ground the session usually. Mm. I find, but also but also you know the question around whether this works or not. I think there's there's something about um, well maybe with a lot of things in life mm. is this kind of moderation. Mm. So I remember when I first got into tarot, mm. 
I kind of almost overused it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, should, should I see this person? Do it, what, you know, should I go on this holiday? Where, where should I go out? You know, what's yeah. happening on Saturday? Kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. It's yeah, the I Ching is good for that as well. Yeah. It's where you, when you start using the I Ching and then right. you use it for everything. Yeah, that's So right. like every decision kind of gets yeah, yeah. kind of, uh, you consult the Oracle. Yeah, that's right. So we, we uh, yeah, so after a while I realized this was called, this was Oracle abuse. Yes. yes. So actually you have to be careful. Yeah. You know. Yeah, <laughs> kind to- of totally. Yeah. St- stand back and, b- and sparingly, you know, and mm. so it doesn't become this kind of yeah, yeah thing that you way that you're leading your life through the cards. Ab- mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting thinking about talking to you mm. because you're so prolific in your output mm. <laughs> you know and I remember sort of um well we we spent a, a few days in Caimabon right mm. uh, a few years ago um and I remember driving up and back with you mm. and sort of getting to know getting to hear about some of the things that you'd books that you'd written and the things that you're interested in and you know, so it's kind of difficult to know where to come in and focus. Mm. I suppose, I suppose, what might be, I mean, the, the the purpose of this podcast is kind of emerging purpose, which is a kind of uh, you know umbrella for you know um, motivation and creativity and eros and passion and all those kind of things. Mm. So I suppose the obvious question is, where do you find your your motivation? Because you've produced so much, well, well, um, it's a big question. Yeah, I know. No, I mean, when when I was eleven, it it all started when I was eleven for me. That's my that's the sort of starting point. I can't remember much before I was eleven. I have little little flashes of memories of childhood and so on, you know. But 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 when I was eleven, I read a book called The Life of the Buddha by L. Adams Beck, and it was a very florid, lyrical, sort of lyrically written book. Um, and it turned me on. It, it, it switched, switched on the lights. Huh. And, and, and I thought, this is the only, this is the most important thing to do, gaining enlightenment. This is, this is the, you know, the, the ultimate task. And at the same time, I met my 
first sort of spiritual teacher was the old chief druid Ross Nichols he was a friend of my father's and and he sort of came and saw us and I said hello to him and then and then when I was 16 I started to train with him so so spirituality or or sort of I, um the philosophical quest the quest for 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 wisdom and clarity and illumination have have been sort of central to me yeah. uh, from that moment onwards and that comes through in you know just looking at your sort of reading your your output of um the books books yeah that that comes through that kind of spiritual dru- druidry uh sophrology sophrology um even the nakedness book right uh, the history of nakedness i mean a third of it is about nakedness and spirituality uh-huh. um so so yes and the novel that i've written is is about spirituality too so so that's that's at the core so there's despite the disparate nature of of, of the books that i've written and the things that i've done they're all at their heart it's that simple yeah simple sort of quest for illumination and the spiritual quest or however one wants to turn uh-huh. it yeah um, so the so the so this quest for illumination i mean that's wow that's young as well right mm. 11 to kind of i mean i remember when i was 11 i probably oh i joined i think i joined the church choir because really? i kind of fancied the vicar's daughter <laughs> yes but um and got <laughs> confirmed you know yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then sort of Realise that oh God's uh, not really I'm not really getting my my money's my worth yeah. money's worth here. Do you know what I mean? I mean I've got to feel pull some bells every now and then, and sort of drink a little bit of wine. But you know, and I suppose that's the other question I have in terms of you know how do you def- or what how do you see the difference between religion and spirituality? I mean, it's quite mm. another big question, but it's mm. Mm. Uh, you know I think it's quite an interesting one. Sure. Well, well, of course the the. The immediate question that arises when, when if you say, okay, this kind of spiritual quest or this sort of uh, identification and ambition at another level as well uh, uh, around spirituality and, and, and whatever that means, uh, or the spiritual quest, there's then a question of, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, you, so you get the idea that illumination is the thing. Uh, what are you going to do about it? And you know, so I, I remember I tried meditating. Oh yeah. You know, so so from the age of eleven, I was buying joysticks and sort of staring at the little <laughs> point, and then that kind of wasn't working. Then you stare at a candle, and that doesn't work. And then try and read a book about it, and try this, and try that. Like so, as if you're going to get to this, like this this thing's going to happen if you stare at this thing well, long con- enough. Yeah. Yes, because if you read, you know, the, the, there's, you know, concentration is one of the yeah. ways of you know meditation. So the idea is you concentrate on a candle flame or you concentrate on you know, perfume or whatever. Um, so, um, but um, the, 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 so the technology, the question of, well, how am I going to get there becomes the issue. You know? uh, so, so I was, you know, because I was around in the 70s and you know, everybody was smoking pot. Mm-hmm. So, so I smoked pot, you know, and it's like, oh, I can get, maybe I can get here with this. And then you know the results are inconclusive. Let's try again. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let's keep trying. Let's keep trying. You know, and 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 so on. Um, and and and, um, and 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 in a way, I've been in this experimental phase for about <laughs> fifty years or something. Um, you know, of of. Trying lots of different, I've I've tried so many methods, you know, 
and and you know with varying success and and and, and of course each one has its value and has things mm-hmm. to teach you and all the rest of it and i think the thing the mistake we can make on this path if you like mm-hmm. is that we'll get somewhere yes you know yes. and and so so you you think that you know if i can make it to the top of the mountain then i can you know i can just om for the rest of my yeah. life I, i'll be sort of totally zen and and sort of chilled and illumined and, and my my personality won't bother me anymore yeah, yeah, yes <laughs> i'll just be all knowing and all wise and, and everything be marvelous and it sort of doesn't work like that um and it's like we need because I sometimes ask myself, what you know, why are you still talking about this stuff, you know, and why are you writing about it, and why are you reading about it, and you know, doing workshops on it, and so on. I mean, like, haven't you learnt enough by now? I mean, don't you, you know, do you still care? You know, it's like well, how come? And yeah. the answer is yes, because it's like, um, it's like all sorts of human activities, like say physical fitness. Yeah, you know, it's like you don't just suddenly stop running because you've sort of achieved optimum health and then you can sort of blob about for the rest of your life you keep running you know and 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 although that is the case in, in, with in you, my in case, your case <laughs> with running <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> three marathons and it was all over you're done yes, yeah yeah that's right. yeah yeah but there's such a it's such a brilliant point because it's it's kind of almost like the the um the the, the illusion isn't it it's the trap of that you're that you know let's just put a carrot of enlightenment out here yeah and we'll just chase that and and actually the 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 effect that that has on one's system is like i am not enough i am not enough and there's something out there that i will find one day yeah when i'll be sorted one day i'll get sorted yeah Yeah. and i'll and then and then i can relax yeah but until then yes i'm not enough and I'm inadequate, and I can't feel good about myself. And yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's something I want to come on to, because I know also that you trained in Yoga Nidra, of mm. course. You, yeah. Another <laughs> non-expert in that, maybe. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> but, um, but, um, but, yeah, no, coming back to this, this thing about religion. Hmm. So I wonder, I wonder if religion, if what you're saying is that religion was a kind of attempt at or, or the the sort of dogmatic approach to religion is is one of those attempts to lock it down. Well, I think you know um, religion is 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 an is an attempt to to create a formula, if you like, or a system that will enable people to feel better and to to function more effectively and to be of more value to themselves and the world and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And there's some very interesting studies have come out about the value of religion. Mm -hmm. It's clear that on the whole religion can be incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, even studies of longevity that, you know, tend to add five years onto your life if you're Uh part of a faith community. I mean, very interesting stuff. Um, And all sorts of meta-analyses of of a bunch of different studies and so on. So it seems to be good for your physical health and for your mental health. So having faith. Having having faith. Mm. uh, uh, You know, the Royal College of Psychiatrists have a a spirituality, um, what's it called, special interest group. And they they publish some very interesting stuff around that and studies around the value of that. So it's 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 it 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 seems undoubtedly true that religion can be of huge value, and yet we also see that it's hugely problematic as well. And it's mm-hmm. responsible for all sorts of suffering. So uh, it's stick in, stick in, to the rules, but if you don't like but if but if you don't like our rules and we don't like your rules, then we're gonna 
probably go to war over it. Yeah, yes, we might possibly kill you. I'm yeah. so sorry, but <laughs> yeah, this but we don't make, like your rule, your yeah, religious rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This will make you feel much better. But if you don't like it, we'll yeah. So, so huge problems around religion. Yeah. So, a sort of softer term is spirituality. I mean, people will say, you know, well, for instance, is druidry a religion or a spirituality? And 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 you know, I'll say, well, it depends. I mean, some people, some two, some people like the term religion. And they like to have a religion and a religious faith makes them feel like they're part of something and so on. And it's a positive term. But then a lot of people don't like the term. It it has all sorts of negative connotations precisely because of the history of much of religion and so on. And all because of their childhood and their upbringing and so on. So so that's a negative term for them, Mm -hmm. in which case it makes more sense for them to use a term like spirituality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally, it seems to me that spirituality has a sort of looser, less defined sort of quality about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tend to use that myself. No, absolutely. Um, I do as well. Yeah. yeah, You know, um, but but one of the challenges it presents one, one with, which which. Is you know how do you term you know do you talk about a spiritual path because at some level you know my sense is that when you get there's a um, there's a way in which you know I don't need a name or a label for my spirituality I don't actually see myself as a druid uh-huh. or, you know just as I don't see myself you have as, druid druidry within druidry you. is yes is one of one of the yeah. spiritual ways that I find really resonant and that yeah. I work within yeah yeah uh, you know but I'm you know deeply moved by Sufism and Sufi poetry and by yoga and all, all sorts of different approaches mm-hmm. Buddhism and so on um, so so but but we do tend to need labels and words and so we just have to cope yeah. with the limitations around that i think so, so i suppose what i'm hearing you say is like careful with the the identifications around those labels mm, yeah yeah so as soon as you think you are one of those things you're kind of in trouble yes yeah 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 just just yeah. really yeah my sense is to have a really loose identifications around yeah that. yeah i often say to my clients if you think that i'm a psychotherapist and you're a client, then we're probably a bit in trouble here. Because otherwise we're just going to play those roles out, Mm, you know, rather than actually be two people in a room relating. Relating, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So something, but but obviously you still have to be those roles. Well, you have to, well, that's that's exactly an example, you see, where you sort of need that, you know, need the title for the, the card and yeah. the, the ad in the paper or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, this is what I do. This is what I do. And you know, what do you do? You know, is, yeah, that's right. You know, um, yeah. So okay, so going back to this thing about what motivates you, mm. it's um, spirituality. It's mm. it's uh, it's the thing that's kind of throughout all your work. Mm. It's it's the thing that you're uh, constantly interested in. Meaning, purpose, spirituality. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you? What I mean? What? I mean, it's such a kind of odd question, but do you have a relationship with meaning and purpose? 
Um, and if so, what is that? What is that relationship like? A relationship. <laughs> um, I'm. Uh, Can I tell you where I'm sort of coming yeah, from? Yeah, sure. yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so I think the thing, I suppose, what it is is that um, you know when I set up my my kind of uh, psychotherapy practice I call it emerging purpose hmm. because I was kind of very newly into this idea oh yeah you know we have we all have this emerging purpose and hmm. we're not aware of it and you know the, the the thing is is that we need to find what it is right yeah and then very much kind of like how you're talking about I suppose the spiritual path and sort of feeling like it's all, uh, you know there's a thing that's always out there to be found hmm. I feel like maybe purpose is kind of the same thing it's this idea of something that we should be have I, I think it's hugely problematic it's it's kind of but but like like lots of things that are problematic it doesn't mean to say one should ban them from one sort of thought <laughs> no, field exactly. you know it's actually it's quite an interesting and provocative idea and there's a there's a little book i've written on a sort of online course that i do called lessons in magic which is you know which is where we look at the idea of purpose and then how you know how you create really how you bring stuff into the world how you tune in to what you really want to be doing with your life the direction uh -huh. you want to be doing, and then how you make that happen and that immediately raises the specter of purpose as it were you know what's my true purpose and, all yeah. that stuff. and then um in one of the lessons what, what i do is i drop in a series of little short videos by people like deepak chopra and mm -hmm. so on where people are talking about purpose in, in very different ways, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and it can become hugely problematic, as you say, because it becomes a there's the danger of hubris mm -hmm. that somehow I should have a purpose, like Mother Teresa had a purpose, yeah. and if I can't access it, it's either because I'm not very evolved, and and you know, or I'm a waste of space. I mean, maybe you know, what if what if the awful truth that I have no there's no purpose to me at all? Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean I have no function in this world? Uh, yeah. So and again, I mean, you can use it to to put yourself down, to beat yourself up. Yeah. 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 Um, you know. So so um, or in the contrary way to inflate yourself. Yeah. Say my purpose is to bring love into the world uh, and uh, meaning and the uh, I am in line. I'm in alignment with my purpose. My purpose, and I'm bringing healing to the world yeah. through this this new cushion that I've yeah. developed. Um, you, you know, um, so it's a very problematic one. And yet, and yet, that's the thing. Somewhere in there is yeah. a sort of seed. It's a bit like it's a bit like I don't know. The image that comes to me is a sort of an acorn. You know, the, you don't ask the acorn what. It, what its purpose oh, is. Oh, yeah. But it's, but quite, what are you going to be? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like it's obvious, you know. And it's like, I'm just doing it, you know, is what the acorn, I suspect, would say. You yeah. Know. Uh, it's something about that, you know. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. So, so when I asked about your, I, I guess, like, when I ask about your relationship to it, that's why I'm interested because, you know, there's something about. I mean, do you wake up? Do you ever wake up in the morning and go, "Oh shit, I really don't want to write today," or I just, well, or, I don't, or I don't feel like talking about spiritual values or yeah. being uh, or, or offering my druid magic? Or you know, uh, 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 well, two things that occur to me at the relation to purpose and meaning. One is that that I don't really think about them that much. Okay. Although having having said that, that they're, they're topics that I think are really central and interesting and provocative and. And all the rest of it. I don't actually spend much time sort of philosophizing around it or questioning it. Uh -huh. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 
So, so if I'm writing about a particular thing, I, I suppose I'm working on the meaning ah, of, yeah. you know, uh, the meaning of it. But I don't question it at that level. I just sort of get on with it. Interesting. So much more it's like like the acorn metaphor. Then, yeah. so you're kind of like going, oh, well, there's an acorn, or you're feeling like the acorn of that idea, and you just let it grow into what it needs to grow into. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't, you know, because I think I think being overly conscious of something, funny enough, can have a downside to it. That's interesting. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Well, you know the you know the way everything has everything has its shadow. Yeah. Isn't it? So so the shadow of the mindfulness I'm being super conscious here is is that it it that it becomes precious, it kills spontaneity, it becomes it becomes controlling where so the ego starts to control mm. rather than just relaxing into being alive, enjoying being alive. Yeah. And trusting you may have moments where you you deliberately kind of make yourself more mindful, or 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 uh, or make you know make a deliberate attempt to to experience awe, for instance. Uh, but in my experience, the, the 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 way it works is if you can if if it can become so sort of familiar and you can be so relaxed about it that you know. If I walk down out of your place and go down to the sea and I see the sun shining on the water. I won't have to sort of ask myself to feel, uh, or I'll, I'll, I'll just have the experience yeah. of beauty and of enjoyment and of awe without having to be mindful of it. Do you see what so, I mean? Just so to, trusting, the, kind of trusting the process. Yeah, just tr trusting but, yeah. in life that, that I don't always have to control it or be overly conscious of it because, because yeah. there's a value in the unconscious just, you know, just as there's a value in in being asleep as well as in being awake, yeah, you know, and the and the value in that liminal space of wooziness, where where you know where maybe you're not particularly awake and aware, and you're not asleep, but you're sort of half half awake. There's a value in all these levels of consciousness, and the risk around the whole enlightenment industry mm -hmm. is is that you're trying to be super aware yeah. all the time yeah you know let's get really aware let's and, get and where nothing's happening because <laughs> <laughs> we're so aware we're so, yeah you know yeah that's so fascinating you know because i think well i suppose just from a personal point of view which is all i can kind of measure this through really mm. is is that yeah i think there's and maybe that's why I set this thing up, you know, merging purpose. And it's kind of mm. like, we will find out what a purpose is, what you know. What we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and actually, what, what, what I found is I got a load of clients who are all in existential crisis. Yes, yes. So, so that's been an interesting journey in itself. Because whereas when I first began, I might be thinking, oh, no, 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 I've just got people turning up who are like, they want me to help them find their purpose. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, it's taken sort of, quite a long process to kind of go well let's just be in that then yeah, yeah. you know let's just let's be in an existential what's it like to be in an existential crisis and, and, and not to try to get out of it and not to try and get out do of that it. yeah ab ab absolutely and 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 um yeah 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 very fertile place absolutely you know? and and yeah 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 there was a, you know there's a bit and i and and i suppose there's um i suppose my feeling is that we all go through it, and also you see the thing is if you if you 
you know, at one level, I think, and I'm just simply, this is coming straight off the top of my head. I haven't thought this through at all, but maybe see see where we go with it. It's, it's like at one level, there's always the existential question. You know, like the big question is like, what on earth are we doing? Mm. I mean, you know, we're sitting here and, you know, the, 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 you know, at one level, the climate is in crisis and the world is in, you know, there's war and, you know, what the hell is going on, you know? And and why are we here anyway? I mean, what are we doing incarnated in these sort of bags of skin and yeah. talking to you know what's going on? It's like who am I and why am I here? You know, there's there's you know great questions. Uh, you know, there's these great questions. You know, like I think was it Joseph Campbell or somebody who said, you know, life is like turning up late for a movie, and then not wanting to ask those people next to you what 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 what's going on, and then having to leave before the film ends, you know, and when we die, yeah. you know, as an as a so making sense of all that, in yeah, yeah, that, was bit, all that all that bit in between that, yeah you know and i i have this fantasy that when i die i'll sort of look back and say what was all that about you know, <laughs> uh, so you know you know what if that question there's there's all we can get to that level of questioning of existential crisis or of existential questioning at any time yeah but but that's a pretty hard place to live in all the time oh yeah it's kind of really interesting to go there from time to time but the rest of the time, one has to kind of come down a bit into a kind of more everyday world. Yeah. And sort of then, chopping wood, fetching water. Yeah, yes. And also also recognising uh, one's limitations in a way. It seems to me that the most effective way to be in the world is to be as aware of the big picture as possible and of the existential questions as possible. But also to recognise one's limitations and to work within that. So that if, for instance, so at the beginning beginning of this year, I, I, uh, I worked on a book on insomnia, approaches to insomnia. Oh, really? And when I went to, you know, when I go to that existential place, I say, well, why am I focusing on that? You know, that, that feels very kind of limited in a way. Uh, you know, why aren't you writing the great work that deals with, you know, <laughs> everything and the meaning of life? And all that? Rather than just looking at approaches to insomnia, you know, and... But actually, you know, going into that and spending, you know, I just finished it, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and finishing it, you know, it feels really good. And it has a very, it's very limited. It's about, it's a book for people who, who find it hard to sleep. Yeah. And that's perfectly valid in itself. Yeah. And, and specific. It's very specific. Yeah. And, and the, the trouble with this is, I think it's certainly if I entertain the big questions too much, then I find it hard to function and to be of any use really uh that's really so, interesting you know, isn't it because yeah it, because i think you can i think what what i'm getting from what you're saying is like yeah if you kind of go out too wide and too big hmm. then actually perhaps that is kind of what what can lead you into a spirit into a existential crisis because and you can get to the wide and big stuff in the little stuff as well uh-huh. so in other words you, you know Say, for instance, in writing a brief history of nakedness, people would say to me, "Well, how can you write a whole book about nakedness? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, it's like you, you know, you either got clothes on or you've got clothes <laughs> off. What, how can you write a whole book about it?" And I was saying, "Well, everything is there, absolutely everything, you know." Uh, and 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 so, even in writing about insomnia, say, yeah. or nakedness, within that topic, there'll be times where you break into the world of of eternity and infinity of course touches every possible you know because of course insomnia you're talking about consciousness yeah 
you know, and, the, and, and what we're really talking about is transition from an everyday state of consciousness yes. to a very altered state of consciousness. So, so, so what I did with that book is I just said, look, the psychedelic journey is one where, where or psychedelic therapy, if you like, is where you help people to transfer from a very one level of con to, to a very different state safely and in a productive way, as it were, and mm -hmm. then to come back again. Mm -hmm. And sleep is the same thing. So let's use the same lens. And then I take that lens that we use in psychedelic therapy of set and setting, mm -hmm. medicine and dosage, and, and just apply that to, to sleep therapy. That's really nice. And I suppose it also brings us quite neatly back to the yoga nidra. Mm, yeah. Because that's kind of got a, a, a kind of... Well, it's kind of, kind of called sleep yoga, isn't it? Or yes, and, there's it a, a, and, it, and it's hugely, hugely helpful. It's hugely helpful uh, for getting people to sleep, actually. Mm -hmm. So my, my formulation in this book, it's got two very simple ideas, but I think are really powerful. The first idea is just, look, there's, there's evidence-based sleep science that that can help you get to sleep and basically there are only two it's it's sleeping pills or cbt mm -hmm. sleeping pills not a good idea for all sorts of reasons that mm -hmm. i go into in the book except in short for short-term issues uh and cbt hugely effective for many people but problematic in in in, in certain respects you mean uh, cbd uh no cp cbt cognitive behavioral oh, the, the, therapy the, oh right right yeah yeah Sort of uh, that—that's the kind that the, mm -hmm. you know, the doctor will recommend. As it were. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a couple of problems. Well, not problems. There are a couple of aspects of CBT that some people find uh, inimical in some way, difficult. So, so, um, and then you've got all the non-evidence-based stuff, things that people have been using for years, like hypnotherapy and yoga nidra and so on, that don't have the evidence base, but thousands of people swear by. Mm -hmm. so why not take an integrative approach and say well let's let's mix and match you know uh so that's one idea in the book mm -hmm. and then the second idea is in 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 sleep medicine people talk about sleep hygiene which i always think is a really uncomfortable term because it suggests that sometime somehow you've been dirty in your sleep <laughs> there's habits. good sleep and there's bad sleep yeah yes right. exactly i wanted to call the book uh, dirty sleep but then i thought <laughs> i thought yeah probably not a good book title really um but, but it does suggest if you're if your doctor or your therapist says well i'm going to teach you about sleep hygiene, hygiene. it feels as if you haven't been quite clean enough in yeah. the way you sleep not sleeping in the right way yes and um, those are all the ideas around r routines for bedtime and, you know, blue yeah. light from screens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not sitting in bed, scrolling, scrolling through your phone. Scrolling and, uh, yeah, and, you know, temperature and, you know, a whole bunch of physical sort of... Uh, it's actually set and setting. Aha. Uh -huh. so well, the same well, that, well it's, right. it's, it's setting, I'd say. It's setting. Yeah. And then you have set, which is the cognitive behavioral thing. They talk about cognitive restructuring. Uh -huh. But what a clunky term. You know, it's, you know, why not talk about set, mindset... And heart, how you what you, how you think about sleep, yeah. hugely impactful on 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 actually how you sleep is how you think about it, massively important. So so and getting your emotional and, and mental take or set around sleep right. So set and setting, and then you get to medicine. Well, what am I going to take? Uh, so I list thirteen. I go into de detail around thirteen ways, uh -huh. and yoga nidra is one of them. Oh, you know, right. So there's CBT and hypnotherapy and you know. Um, progressive muscle relaxation and various things and then one of them is yoga nidra which was your question mm -hmm. 
And and uh, what was your question? I forgot. Well, my question, I don't really know actually what my <laughs> question was. It was yeah. more of an observation that, yeah. that it's another one of your kind of... Um, Non-expert, non-expert specialities, but, yeah. but I'm I'm kind of fascinated in myself because you know I sort of had a brief period of, you know, and I'd kind of like to do it again, but it's of of this meditating in this way where you kind of lie down, you put an eye cushion on, perhaps if yeah. you want to, you pull yeah. a blanket over, you get seriously seriously comfortable, and then you can either listen to a kind of a guided, uh, guided visualization yeah. through it. And it's usually kind of going right through in detail through your body, isn't it? And through your the, bones and your... The two, the two particular mm. techniques it uses is, I mean, as you say, for, for a start, you're lying down. Mm -hmm. You know, we're so used to having to sort of sit up with an upright spine. Upright, and all back, that. You know, yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, so you lie down, you get as comfy as possible, and then you don't have to do anything. Unlike a lot of meditations where you're repeating a mantra or you're engaging in some kind of mental work or even non-work yeah uh if you see what i mean yeah yeah uh it, it's still you have to do something whereas with yoga nidra you, you don't do anything you just listen to, to somebody's voice yeah which might be on a youtube thing or a recording or a person physically present with you yes and and so you complete the great thing is you just completely surrender to that voice and and you don't even have to follow it. That's that's a thing. I mean, you can just let go so totally. You're not even following the instructions, which is an interesting experience in itself. Absolutely. But if you follow the instructions, the two techniques they're using that really help to shift your consciousness is one is a pilgrimage around the body, and you just it just draws your attention to different points around your body, and there's a whole bunch of different routes you can take, which is what you learn when you learn yoga teacher training. You know, you uh -huh. do yoga teacher, uh, yoga nidra teacher training. Yeah. Uh, and and so I learned from you know a wonderful couple who you know uh, in Stroud and and you know and you go you you take these routes through the body, and often I mean particularly I mean for me certainly I think a lot of people if you're doing it in the afternoon or the evening you're off and yeah. you basically fall asleep. Yeah. You know. If you do it in the evening or after a coffee uh, and you don't fall asleep, you go incredibly deep. It's like this really deep meditation. Uh -huh. So that's so it's the pilgrimage, the, the distinctive feature of, of Yoga Nidra is that pilgrimage around the body. I love that. The pilgrimage. The pilgr aspect. I know, it's beautiful. And you can so do beautiful. you can you can make lovely variations on it. Like you can imagine going to shrines and lighting a candle. So you let you go, you know, you move your awareness to your shoulder, yeah. and uh, you know, and you're lighting a candle at this shrine, and then you move down to your elbow, and your, and then to your wrist, and then to your fingers, and then, uh, you know, all around the body, and, and then the other feature is that you become aware of opposites. So you imagine, for instance, that you're, you know, high up on a mountain, and then you imagine you're low down in a valley, mm -hmm. or that you're, in, you're, you know, you're very hot, and then you're very cold. You know, you're sitting at the North Pole and then you're sitting around a fire, you know. I mean, all, and and there's something about this, you know, that comes from Tantra, this this particular technique. Tension of opposites. Tension of opposites, mm -hmm. you know. And then you see if you can hold the opposites. You know, Is there some way in which you can experience both at the same time? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Feeling as light as a feather and as heavy as a stone. And that seems to... Uh, effect change it's like your your rational mind gives up at that point it's like 
you know, I can't do this, you know, and you go to another level with it. Yeah. <clears throat> so again, so again, it's like not, it's not, um, yeah, we're going to get somewhere with this. It's, uh, it, it kind of happens to you throughout the, throughout the kind of practice. It's, uh, I mean, I, I remember also this, this sort of sense of, with the tension of opposites thing, hmm. really helpful because there was kind of some things in my life that gave me anxiety, produced anxiety. Hmm. So it was kind of the invitation was like, okay, well, bring on the feeling in your body hmm. that brings that anxiety on and feel the anxiety. Hmm. And then what's the opposite to that? It's this, it's kind of this really relaxed, let go kind of in the flow space hmm. and then play between those two opposites. And then what I noticed was that, that when in my conscious waking life, when those, when that anxiety came on, that I naturally wanted to go to the opposite as well. That had been sort of awakened in you and enlivened yeah. in your consciousness. So yeah. you could see the, it's a bit like perhaps there's some similarity with the identification, disidentification exercise. In psychosynthesis. In psychosynthesis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and the combination of the pilgrimage and the, the opposites, working with the opposites, makes it very special i think and it, and in fact you know and can, it can become a spiritual the one methodology you use in your spiritual life or you know the one way that you find is helpful for getting to sleep mm -hmm. you know yeah. um certainly i love an afternoon nap yeah i must say yeah i mean but it's not you know i don't it's not a kind of fixed thing but it's mm. a but if there's time and I've got space. It's one of the most enjoyable things ever. How long do you sleep for? Well, probably no more than 40 minutes. Like, I wonder if that's yeah. the 40 winks thing. You right. Know. Well, so. well that's, that's interesting you should say that because the, the, you know, and we're all different, which is why one has to ah. be so careful with all of this. Yeah. But just generally, the sort of the, the ideas around that are that, um, you know, you have <clears throat> different stages of sleep. Essentially, you have light sleep and deep sleep, mm. and then they're broken up into like four or five phases, depending on how you understand. But um, if you, you have a nap that usually after about 20, well, after about 30 minutes, you tend to go into deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And if you, so if you sleep longer than 30 minutes, it can be problematic. So for a lot of people, a 40 minute nap yeah. would be really problematic. It's a bit groggy when you wake groggy up. Groggy when yeah. you wake up. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a part of you that just wants to go on sleeping. Yeah, Another yeah. part of you doesn't want to wake up and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, so less than half an hour and usually around 20 minutes. A little 20 minute. Yeah. A 20 minute ten, means you've gone into light sleep, but you haven't dropped down too far. And, and in fact, I've been experimenting with eight-minute naps. No way. Yeah, I have a little, I have, I've got a machine. I, I acted as a consultant for this company called Morphe, uh, Morpheus, you know, yeah. uh, which, which um, do a sophrology machine. Oh, I think you might have brought that to Kamabon. I did. Yeah, I did. I it's brought, like a little ball thing. Yes, that's... it looks like an, uh, a lithiometer or whatever yeah, it's yeah. called from the golden compass. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's yeah, right. an amazing contraption. Yeah, a lovely little contraption. Yeah. And and so they asked me to do some work with them. And 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 um, so I got a couple of free samples. And um, I've been using it over the last few months on the eight-minute setting, which I had never explored before. I just hadn't got around to it. And I find that that is absolutely fabulous. It suits me down to the ground right now. Like a power nap. A power nap. And mm. it's just eight minutes, guides me in and then pulls me out after That's eight so minutes. so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I can kind of relate in terms of having sat down in the afternoon maybe to read a book mm. 
and just kind of got a kind of you know one paragraph in mm. and felt the eyelids going and then sort of and then just kind of dropping but then pulling out again pulling out again quite quickly you know well that's that's another kind altogether oh is it yeah it's 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 a it's a micro nap micro nap micro sleep and i think it works it does it does salvador dali made it popular um because he said he was taught by capuchin monks and and what he would do is is he'd put a metal plate on the floor yeah and would sit with a spoon in his hand ah or fork, yeah, and would allow himself to do exactly that, just to nod off, yeah. Over and then, of course, his hand would relax. The spoon would clatter on the plate, and it would wake him up. So it would literally just be for a few seconds. <clears throat> and and that's something, uh, you know, that that some people find really refreshing as well. Yeah, I, I must say that's happened. I, I've woken up from that and kind of felt like, oh. I've kind of, I feel good. I yeah, feel refreshed. Refreshed, you know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all skilled. I mean, we, we, we've got a little bit of time left. That's mm. all right. Yeah. I just want to, I, I, I sort of feel like, I mean, we could talk about so many different things, of course. Mm. Yeah. But I sort of feel like I, it would be uh, remiss to not mention that you've got a new book mm. coming out. Well, out the, already? Well, the, the book is called The Gift of the Night. Yeah. And, and it's about approaches to insomnia combining, you know, sleep science and, and spirituality. If you uh-huh. Know. Uh, alternative approaches and mainstream evidence-based approaches. Yeah, it's not coming out till October though. Right, uh, next year. Oh, um, I see. So this, so the other book that you were mentioning to me about the Seven Valleys, that's not. Oh, that came out like over a year ago. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm so yeah, behind right. <laughs> my yeah. research. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that came out a while ago. Yeah, uh-huh. and that that is a hybrid of a. It's a it's a book or booklet really, and a. Uh, online program that's essentially two audio tracks of uh you know the which i think you've listened to i've listened to it yeah we again in came i think we were kind of like yeah beta testing yeah yes that's right and then a sort of a i i did a seminar for the kubler ross foundation Uh uh-huh and and it's based on um the story of the seven valleys which you find in the sufi tradition and and uh Yes, that's been up for about a year or so. Um, oh, great. Okay, so yeah. I'll put that. I'll put a link to that in the. Yes, too. Yes, yeah. 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 So I wonder. I, I suppose, what next for you then? Well, y- you know, we, you've been talking about purpose and meaning, and mm-hmm. you know w- what one does in one's life. And, yeah. and you mentioned that I'd done a lot of things. Yeah. And and uh, um, the 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 the. The, the tension for me or the conundrum or that no what's the, what's the right word the sort of um maybe maybe we have in our lives or maybe sometimes or sometimes we have a particular question or issue that's like a it's not a problem it's a it's a a challenge and a uh get the word for it really question to the question for me has been precisely that 
What next? Well, no, no. Um, is that I'm interested in lots of things, oh. and I can often, in the past, I've often felt scattered. Like, <clears throat> like you know, what are you doing? You're, you're, you know, you're training in yoga nidra teacher training, but you've already written a course in druidry and you've written a book about nakedness you know it's like what are you doing it's like you're going all over the place uh but actually i'm not i've realized that i'm not i mean sometimes it's certainly felt that way yeah so a bit it's kind of a bit disparate a bit disparate yes and and it's it's that tension between the generalist and the special and, and the specialist so so i used to beat myself up for not being a specialist you know i used to think why didn't i you know when i took my degree in psychology why didn't I just then do a master's and then do a doctorate and then specialize in a particular area like depression or insomnia or whatever and focus on that? Instead, I find that I've written you know, all these books and mm. done these different things and all the rest of it. Um, what's going on here? Yeah. And a couple of things helped me in that. I used to feel that for a number of years. I remember once I was in a New York bookshop and I saw this book saying, uh, what is it? Um, it's a very clever title. It's something like How to Fall Apart Without Breaking Down or something like that. I it wasn't quite that, but it was like that sort of play on words. Yeah. Um, the, I came across a book by a psychologist who talked about people like me. I, th I think she called them scatterers, people who, who are scattered. And it's sort of basically the message goes, do you find you're interested in loads of stuff? Do you find yourself, you know, uh, looking in all sorts of directions and not being wishing you were a specialist in one, but actually, you know, uh, relax. That's who you are. Oh. It's okay. Oh, what a relief <laughs> to hear you say this, Philip. Oh, my God. <laughs> and exactly, it was a relief. It's like I didn't even need to read her book. It was just this, this idea. You just needed it named. I just needed it named. It's okay, relax. You know, that some people are specialists and some people are generalists. Oh. And I started to talk I started talking to people about that. Yeah. And people were saying, Yeah, you know, I feel the same way. Or, you know, I've always felt that you, Philip, were a gen you know, you're interested in lots of things. And that's lovely. I love that. It's not like a problem. No. It's 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 great. And so I started to accept that part of me and to think, oh. no, this isn't a burden, this is a gift. How lovely. You know, yeah. Oh. So that was a real turnaround for me. That was about ten years ago, something like that. Yeah. So up until like, I don't know, 60 or 55 years old, I every so often would beat myself up for being scattered or gen a generalist. Then I, then, I, then I reframed that and saw that it, it was a gift. This, this is just who I am, you know. And it enables me, I think, and it enables generalists. What generalists can do is they can make connections, they can see patterns, and they have a different perspective. And what I may, if and if you talk to a specialist, you know I really respect specialists. Obviously, you know they know they've gone into, but if you talk to them outside their field, it's like they're completely naive around all sorts of issues. They don't see the connections. No, well because they haven't had the time because mm -hmm. they've been specialising for years in yeah. this one field. Yeah, and and they haven't, you know, taken it. If you take sleep as an example, it's like, in a way, I feel that now. I could say that I was a specialist in sleep. Yeah. I think I probably know more about sleep than most people. Because you became a student of it. Well, became, became, I became a student of it. And what I realized is that the issue with sleep, unlike many issues in um, the mental health field, mental and physical health field, 
is, is fairly delimited. It's fairly limited and contained. Mm-hmm. You know the way with issues like, say, depression or PTSD or schizophrenia or whatever? They're vast. I mean, you could spend your whole professional mm-hmm. life in that one field, mm-hmm. attending conferences every year about depression, reading all the new theories that are coming out, and all the disagreements that exist yeah. between theoreticians and so on, different schools, developing your own favorite approach, and then finding there's a better one somewhere else, and then retraining, <coughs> retraining in that, you know. And that's like a lifetime's work and still you wouldn't really mm-hmm. and also the success rate or your ability to affect change is fairly limited mm-hmm. within those fields as we know mm-hmm. what, what i discovered with insomnia is it's a particular issue if you spent a, if you just spend a year reading a whole bunch of books about sleep learning you know maybe you know i did a training in cbt for sleep uh, for insomnia cbti yeah. it's called right uh you know working in, in with different modalities and all the rest of it you can have a pretty good handle on it and you can know quite a lot about the field it's it's very specific there isn't much disagreement within the field of sleep science um and actually you can affect a lot of change you can really help people i mean cbti has a 70 percent success rate that's really high, you know. So, what does the I stand for? In insomnia, CBT for oh, right. insomnia. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, so, so you you can in a way become a sort of specialist mm-hmm. in in that field, you know. And but then I ask myself, and this is where I know I'm a generalist. I think, oh, am I becoming a specialist finally? And I think, and then I ask myself, would you like to? remain a sleep specialist why don't stay here you know advertise yourself as a sleep <laughs> therapist you know only see clients who have sleep problems oh, you know and no no is the other, no i'm not going to do that <laughs> you know yeah that's fa- absolutely fascinating and i really really resonate with you you know yeah i mean for 20 years i was an actor mm. and what's great about being as an actor is that you actually have to do every other job in the world while yeah. you're waiting to be an actor, <laughs> yes. right? So, yes, so yes, it's kind of right. brilliant. You can do these, all this work brilliantly uh, committed because you know that sometime, at some point you're going to get a job. You're not, it's not lasting forever. It's not going to last forever. And you're also acting. I remember having a meal in Brighton, and it wasn't you, it was somebody else, but there was a waiter who was the perfect waiter. Yes. And I said... Are you an actor? And he said, yes, how could you tell? And I said, well, it's like you're acting being a waiter. I mean, yeah. you're being the perfect waiter. <laughs> like most waiters aren't like that. I, I got one of my biggest breaks when yeah. I was a waiter at a, yeah. at a restaurant. And I, it was one of the most happiest times of my life because I was doing exactly that. I was <laughs> like, I can be the best waiter. <laughs> yes. I, I will act being a waiter, waiter and I will get right. the big tips yes. you know, because yes. I will be the best waiter yeah. you've ever had. That's it. That's and it. I was kind of disappointed when I got an acting role because <laughs> I had to go and leave it and do something else. <laughs> yes. But it's but it's interesting because it's, you know, it's the, it, the kind of area we're talking really is like, again, a generalist, you could say artist, mm. all right? Because... Mm. When 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 is a piece of art ever finished? You know, and I heard mm. a, f- a good friend of mine sort of said, and I'm not sure whether this was a quote from someone or whatever, but he sort of said, you know, a, a, an artist knows when a piece of work is finished because they start thinking about the next piece, mm. and they and and they get bored of that one and they want to move on. So it's not necessarily finished, finished, but it, the attention has moved yes. to the next yes. thing. 
and knowing when to let go and, and just letting go of it and giving that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. such a lovely, I mean, I feel so much relief just talking to you <laughs> about that because I feel like I'm a generalist, mm. you know, what right have I got to start a podcast? You know, I can listen to a lot of podcasts and people are very, very professional and that's their thing. And they, mm. they yeah. do very great podcasts, yeah. you know, and I, and I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'm just like, well, I'm just doing a podcast because I'm kind of interested in talking to some really interesting people well, about what makes them tick, and that's that interests me. You know, absolutely. And 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 the term amateur, yeah, it comes from the word love. You know, does amor, it? Amor, amor. You know, the Latin, the Latin for love. Yeah. So an amateur is somebody who absolutely loves this thing. You know, we tend to use it as a, a pejorative a, term. Yeah. You know, but actually, it's really positive. I'm a, I'm a lover of this. I'm an amateur. Really interesting. Yeah. Mm. So and it and there's the sort of image that comes as well as like a kind of bee a bee pollinating you know and 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 actually you if you're in the garden and going around all the flowers and kind of having a, and and seeing all the different types of mm. flowers then what a wonderful life. Well there's that lovely lovely um saying from the Dzogchen Tantra. Ah uh, which goes, um, what is it, um, seek, uh, oh gosh, I wish I could remember, go, go where, wherever you please, seek, uh -huh. you know, go, like a bee seeking nectar uh -huh. from many flowers, uh, you know, roam as you please, uh, like a lion, free of all fear, Yeah. you know, and that's, that's a lovely guiding principle, I think. I really think that too, and I, and I think, you know, obviously we live in this world where we're kind of indoctrinated to think, you know, you go to work, <laughs> excuse me, go to work, do your thing, you know, you have to earn money, so choose your thing and do this thing. And, and, and obviously, you know, a lot of people in the world have to feel that that's their kind of, their, you know, they're, they're kind of imprisoned to mm. that, mm. you know, but it's interesting. I've always had this sense that if you go looking, if you go looking for the thing that's going to make you money, mm. you kind of find money, mm. and you don't necessarily find the nectar. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it, and there's, so there's always this balance where it's a bit like, um, if I do the thing that I love, eventually maybe it'll become monetized and it will help me live, or or I'll just find the pe person that I need that will get the the next opportunity will come along and and, and the, the next you know whatever. Well, I know, and the the, the 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 tricky thing with with these ideas is, of course, the opposite is always true too. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, you know the classic one, you know, do what you love and the money will follow, mm. which I think is really true at one level, but also I remember somebody saying once on on some sort of interview or something, or somebody saying to me or saying, I've been doing what I love for years and the money has never followed. You know, uh, you know. So, so um, one always has to bear that in mind too. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, but, uh, but how to get a, by in the world with the as well as well, you know. But I think generally the principle, you know, that that you know, the most of the world seems to work with you. Focus on what you, uh, you know, have, do, be. So you go, you know, um, I've got to have, you know, the fast car and the beautiful home and the gorgeous wife and all the rest of it. So what I need to do is make a whole bunch of money and then I can be happy. Yeah, and actually to flip it around and to say focus on the, you know you know being happy being contented you know feeling full of gratitude and awe and all that shit. start there and then from that place decide on what you want to do and the having stuff 
tends to sort itself yeah. out. Doesn't always, you know, but tends to sort but itself out. But I suppose if you're out. already doing it from that point of view... Yes, it's then not so important for it's a It's not so important. You know, those things yeah. are, are the illusional things that can make yeah, you happy. Yeah, you just reprioritize it. So you put being at the heart of, or the, or the number one priority, rather than having. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so interestingly then, so if I was to ask you what next, it's like, well, who knows? Well, the what, well, exactly. I mean, the what next thing is for years, um, Stephanie and I would do a process where we would look at the end of every year, we would spend an evening in a, in a lovely sort of informal way, just looking back on the previous year, mm-hmm. which is a great thing to do. And you look through your photos and you look through the diary and you say, oh, yes, I saw Greg back then and so-and-so came over and we went there and so on, stuff you forget and just sort of digesting the year and looking back uh, and in gratitude and contentment and so on and, and learning and, and then looking about what, you know, one wanted to achieve that year. Oh, yes, you know, we, we planned to do that, but we never got around to it, and, but we did do that, we did that and so on. And then the next evening what we would do is we would plan the year ahead so this would be the beginning of January, you know, mm. and we'd say, okay. And we got very organized about it. So it's like, what do we want to do at the practical level, at the social level, at the you know, cultural level, and at the spiritual level? Nice. So we did that for years. And then about four years ago, I don't know, we got busy around that time. And at some point, I said to Steph, should we try just not doing it? Should we try not planning the year ahead? And and ever since we've, we we don't we don't we don't <laughs> and and actually it's been fabulous all sorts of wonderful things amazing have happened yeah I mean the fact that we've that, you know all that that whole um, synthesis institute work and the connectedness pro all that yeah. came completely out of the blue left field I yeah. had no idea that was that wasn't planned are you still all. doing some work for its synthesis yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah ah. I just got back from Holland a few days ago. So what 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 are you up to with them? Doing, I'm on the retreat team now. Are you? So I went through, you know, there was the connectedness program that you and I did yeah. for about a year, wasn't it? Yeah, with yeah. Ros Watts kind of leading it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of when when the pandemic hit, there was a kind of online group that met every from couple of weeks. From the Imperial College um, people in the clinical trial. That's yes. right. And we sort of supported them over that year. And about six to nine months into that... They, they had me doing druid ceremonies yeah. online for the community. And then that sort of fell away as as the organization grew and sort of somebody forgot to send an email or something and that just sort of grew. And 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 then what happened was uh, they asked me to be a learning mentor because they started a psychedelic practitioner training uh-huh. over uh, that was that was, you know, ongoing and they split students into pods. Yeah. And so they wanted learning mentors for the pod. So I, so I had a pod, and and I accompanied them uh, over fantastic fifteen months, I think it was, or thirteen yeah. months, no, fifteen, I think, or eighty. And uh, and then we all met in 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 the Netherlands this summer, sixty people and like forty staff. I mean, there were eighty. I don't know. There, was, there were about eighty or hundred of us. Yeah. In this place for two weeks, it was absolutely incredible. The participants were there ten days, and we were top wow, to wow, incredible. In that heat wave, yeah, um, absolutely fantastic. So if you'd so if you'd sat down at the beginning of the year and th- and said, yeah, this is what I'll be doing this year, you you might have kind of missed that opportunity. The whole the whole year, just, everything that's happened this year. Yeah, I, my mum died at, 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 on, in December last year, and and uh, I I uh, decided to, I went to Ireland for two months just because it had been quite hard and and I just needed a break. And when I was in Ireland, I decided to write the book on insomnia. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, but I hadn't planned 
I suppose I'd half planned to do it. I, I knew I was going to do it. I've, I've had it cooking for about four years. Most of the books I've done uh, are often 10-year projects. You know, you get an idea and you cook it and you gather. You sort of have a file and anything interesting that comes along, you drop it into the file. Oh. I drop it into the net and then I talk to people about it. And then it cooks away. For, oh, nice. I mean, the nakedness book took 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I've been working on a book on Jainism for about 10 years, 12 years now. Oh, that's so um, interesting. Again, yeah. because it's a little bit like, well, if you think about mycelium and mushrooms, yeah. Yeah. the mycelium's always there under, under the ground doing its work, yeah. doing its work. And every now and then a mushroom pops up. Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of what you're saying. Is like, because you can kind of see people in the cultural, you know, when they come through into the public eye, it's like, it looks like, oh, you've just done this thing and that must have just, you just did it. Yeah. You know, but actually what you're saying is, no, there's 10 years of of generalism <laughs> or 10, 10 years of, of of popping that that thing in that file and that thing in that file, my interests here and here. Oh, and look, the mushroom comes out, here's the book. That, that's right, yes. M- mm-hmm. Virtually all the books I've done have actually been processes that have taken years and years and years because actually writing doesn't take that long. I mean, the first book I wrote on Druidry, uh, I wrote it in a frenzy in three weeks. What was that, uh, what was that called? Not was, the Druid's Way. It was way. called the, Ameri- the, the Elements of the Druid Tradition. Uh-huh. And then I rewrote it a number of years later as, the Dru- as Druid, the Druid Mysteries. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, but of course, you know, at that time, I don't know, I was 40 or something like that, and I'd been doing it for 20 years or something like that, you know. So, so, so the actual physical writing isn't the problem. Uh-huh. Never the problem, for me anyway. It's the, it's, it's, it's the material. Yeah. You know. So your life is the research. And the inspiration and the ideas and the insights you get and so on. You know, so if I hadn't done the work with synthesis and with the, the psychedelic therapy field, I wouldn't have had the insight for the insomnia book. So the insomnia book had been cooking, but I needed that ingredient, that particular take. Oh, I know. Let's let's stop talking about cognitive restructuring and sleep hygiene. Let's talk about set and setting. Beautiful. You know, and it's Beautiful. so simple. It's like a no-brainer, yeah. really, isn't it? And as soon as you you say it, it's like, oh yeah, it's obvious. Yeah. It's so simple, but nobody else has said it, as far as I'm aware. No. And so I, you know, put it in the book. And I wonder what the integration aspect is as well, because there must be a, a well, sense that that's connected as well with sleep. Well, well, y- yes. One insomnia. Of the thi- well, uh, yeah. One of the things I do is that all the attention gets put on getting you to sleep, but there's the whole issue of waking up and how you wake up and what you know how you go into your day and all the rest of it mm. so that's actually how i end the book mm. yeah with the section on waking up which is as we know the the sort of kind of one of the most important aspects of the psychedelic therapy is integration exactly you know because yeah. we can all go and take these substances and sit on top of mountains and have great revelations ex- great revelations and but yeah. if we don't do anything with that then we're back down at the bottom of the mountain wondering what what, what was happened. that all about yes, yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah yeah you yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you thank you so much well, it's been a pleasure greg really yeah. a pleasure to have a good old chat with you yeah and um i hope you have a wonderful christmas thank you and um you. don't make any plans for the new year yes that's right <laughs> <laughs> and i'll i'll see you around yeah absolutely thank you thank Cheers. you
so there we go what a lovely conversation well i enjoyed it anyway and i think you know one of the things that i found really really useful and you can probably tell by my reaction uh was when philip and i were talking about um being uh, when, when philip was talking about being a generalist and that was such a relief for me. I, I found that such a relieving concept because um, there's this idea, you know, in society and like you, you find your purpose and your passion and you sort of stick to it and you stay on that path and you go into it. And, and you know, and, and that's great if that's how, you know, you kind of, uh, what keeps your, your uh, kind of passion alive. However, I've noticed in my life, and I don't know, maybe some of you guys have noticed this, you know, it's it's life sometimes feel a little bit more like being a kind of bee or, you know, and kind of going around and pollinating different flowers. And I find that concept so relieving and interesting because it what it does is it sort of gives us permission to sort of follow our passion and follow our interests. And, um, you know, and that's what I found in my life. I, I love, I love, there's lots of different aspects. You know, I love music. I love to play music and write music, but I, but sometimes I don't. And other times I really love getting into photography and it's all about photography. And I love training. I love training to become a therapist. And then, you know, sometimes I'm, uh, I, at the moment I'm dipping my, dipping back into doing a little bit of acting because that kind of brings that aliveness. You know, and I sort of, there's something about that is being able to give yourself permission to sort of walk into these different areas of life and especially if you sort of feel like you want a little bit of challenge or you want to be just a little bit out of your depth then it's quite nice to have uh, different passions and hobbies and and um, ways of thinking about life so yeah that was the thing that really stuck out in that conversation has really stayed with me is the sort of idea around being a generalist and that being a kind of positive positive thing so thank you to Philip. It was so nice of you to uh, come along. So nice of him to come along and um, and share his share his thoughts with us. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, next podcast episode. Uh, I'll be interviewing a friend of mine called Anne Mathy, and we're going to be talking about kind of spiritual practices and uh, models and and uh, kind of uh, having a look at having a look at that whole area really the transpersonal and um had a really great conversation with with Anne so that will be coming up at some point in the future and um yeah and I just wanted to also thank a big thank you to Julian Humphreys who uh who supplied the music for this podcast you would have heard parts of it uh, at the beginning for the introduction and you're going to hear a little bit of it now for the outro and uh I may have even put some parts of it throughout the episode as well so thanks to julian for that and um thanks for tuning in i'll see you next time goodbye